I love I, I seeing the staff rise up in their in their pastor gift too. I mean, we heard Amy preaching, we heard Crystal preaching. Devin, you're preaching next week, right? <laughs> uh, no, I think that's in a few more weeks, right? Oh, Crystal hasn't talked to you about. Okay, she will. Um, all right, I am so excited. Of course, I'm excited every week, but uh, this is week two in our current series, The Standard. And when God started downloading this uh, series into my life, um, and let me just put a plug in for life groups. It was through our life group that we were talking about this kind of stuff. Life change happens in life groups. If you're not in a life group, get in the life group. And what we've also done is in a few weeks, I think the end of June, we're actually going to be offering in-house an in-house life group. So in church, between services, during that class time, we're going to have a life group going on for seven weeks, six weeks, seven weeks. I can't remember what it is. So those of you who haven't been able to get into a life group or would just like to get your toes wet, maybe you've considered hosting a life group or leading a life group or you just want to see how it, how it works, um, please plug into that life group. We're going to do those two times a year. Um, just so we can get everybody connected in a life group. Because that's, again, that's where real life change happens. But this is where God started downloading this series to me, was in our life group. And when he started downloading the series, he gave me a picture of, who was here last week? What is this called? Plum Bob, that's right. And he showed me that if we can just look at our life like a Plum Bob... And uh, it, apply the truths even of a plumb bob and its function to our life, we will always stay true as a Christian. You ever go through life or any time in the history of your Christian walk that you feel like you were struggling to be a Christian? You know, I'm getting tired, I try, I try this, I try that. It's all because you are trying to do something that he's already done. And when we affix ourselves to him, apply the love that he's given us. He said, remember, the greatest command is love, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love others as yourself. You'll fulfill the whole word of God. But again, last week, um, I t discussed on setting the standard. And a part of setting the standard is that you can't take part of the word and say, well, I only believe this and not this. It's either all true or it's all a lie. It's his word. That's like you telling me, oh, um, I mean, let's just make it as a child relationship. One of my children coming to me and telling me what part of my instructions they want to listen to. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean you don't have to do it. I've told them that plenty of times. You know, what I tell you to do, I know you can do. And everything I tell you to do, I've given you the resources to do. God says the same to us. But here it is. He says, make sure that you're affixed. To me, that you're hanging on me through love, you'll fulfill all the law. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, right? And now this is how, see, too many times people say, well, I love God. I know he gave that second love others as yourself, but if I just focus on loving God, you know, he can take care of everybody else. And then you try to apply the word and it's like beating people over the head with the word and yourself over the head with the word because he says you can't love others till you can love them as yourself. And we can't understand how, how do we love ourselves until we understand his love. They have to go together. Then we can fulfill the whole lot. And then we'll always be, actually, if you ask Bob Vila, who is the master builder apart from Christ, he says, when you affix this, freely let that swing, when it comes to rest, it will be what's called true. 
It will always be true. You will always, your life will always stay true to God if you hang it on love affixed to Christ. I just love it. The standard, the standard is what we're talking about. So give me just a second minute. I don't want to lie. I don't want to stretch the truth. Let me just uh, refresh your memory from last week or if you weren't here last week. Um, again, the Bob, this is called, is the whole word of God. You have to cleave to, cling to, apply the whole word of God. Jesus even said that I have not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. Well, that means that we don't have to live by it. No, now we can live all that he's commanded us to live because it's Christ living in us. It's him in us that fulfills everything. That's how he can demand us to be holy as he is holy because he's in us. We don't have to try, struggle, get tired, work up. God, I'm trying to do right. You're just, you're just proving that you're doing it in your own strength. So we have to apply the whole word. Be fixed in God, grab hold of, cleave to the whole word of God, and then love. And I like it that God showed me. It's kind of like um, that, the, that the love he's talking about, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself, all the law, all the prophets hang on these. That means you can fulfill the whole word of God through love. If you understand the love he has for you, then you can love others as yourself. Do you understand that's why he can say, forgive as I've forgiven you. Love as I love you. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What? Wait a minute. Yeah, see, it's a parallel. It's the same. So you give out. Do you want to receive full forgiveness from God? Then you better be giving out full forgiveness and not holding people hostage on, well, let's just wait and see how they treat me. Or be good. We were talking about this at Life Group Thursday. But what's the scripture says that if you only love those who love you, if you're only kind to those who are kind to you, how are you any different than the world? That's not love. So he gave me this picture that when we surrender to God, surrender our life to him, I'm yours. Heart, mind, soul, and strength, God, I'm totally yours. I'm sick of living life on my own. Here I am. I'm all, I'm all in. Right? And he says, behold, all things have become new. You are now a new man. The oldest died. The oldest passed away. Now, behold, all things are new. But it's like he gives us these binoculars. Or rose-colored glasses, you could say. But binoculars, you know. And all things are new. Now you're looking at the world and you're what? 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 But it's almost like he puts it, until we understand the love that he has for us, it's like somebody handing you a pair of binoculars and saying, oh, do you see that robin across the lake setting on that piece of wood over there? And they put them, and you put them, and you're like, where, 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 where? And they grab a hold of your head, adjust your head right there, and then they take their finger and they adjust that little focusing right there, and all of a sudden you go, oh, whoa. God gives us a pair of binoculars and says, this is how, love as I have loved you. And we put the binoculars up to our eyes and we're like, what, where, what, what, where, where, what, what? And he says, right there, cross before you, and he adjusts our head, right there. And then he starts tuning it in. Do you know how much I love you? Do you know how valued you are? Do you know where you're seated with me? You're at my right hand. You are my right hand. And all of a sudden, that focus zooms in, and all of a sudden, we see, oh, Barry, I love you, man. Whoa, Jody, I love you, man. We can love as he loved because he's tuned us in. When we can receive all the love that he has for us, then we can love others as we have been loved, as we are loved, as he loves us. That's that tuning in. But it all hangs on that, that love, keeping the cross before us, the world behind us, his love in focus. I just feel like I have to clarify what I spoke quickly last week because right now it seems to be the culture around us screams, you have rights, 
You have an opinion, so go, you know, put a board together, plaster it to your chest, and stand out on the street corner and air it out to everybody, your rights, your opinions, because, well, you know, God's given you a mouth. You need to express, you know, everything, right? You need to tell everybody, you know, what your thoughts are, your opinion, what you deem is right and what you deem is wrong, you know? And so you stand out on the street corner. Hey, come on. Has anybody watched the news lately? Have you seen that everywhere? And let's declare to the world how we're all, how we're all different. We all have different opinions. We all have, you know, different beliefs. We all, different, different, different. I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. So instead of standing and having, I mean, what did they have, Steve, honey? Was it the 60s or 70s? They had what kind of rallies? Peace rallies. Why don't we have, I mean, without all the smoking pot and the naked people, why don't we have them more often, right? Why don't we stand out on the street corners and, and declare how we're united states of America? You know, together we stand, divided we fall, you know, but the world wants you to highlight it, how you disagree, how you don't agree. And I want to show you that that's even slipped into the church, right? And you don't even read the word anymore to know God. Now you're reading it to prove that so-and-so's wrong. And he's like, is that, that what I died for? You know? Yeah, there's that whole defense. I need to be on the defense. No, we're not called to be on the defense. We're called to be on the offense, extending his love, giving his love, being a visual picture of his love. So last week I said love. Remember, love seeks peace and unity, right? Read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is. Love is. My daughter and I was going through this list, and it's like, whoa, we read that so much. We, we kind of, you know, love is kind, love is patient, you know? It's like, no, understand. If this is love, if this is the definition of love, and love is what, you know, what I receive is what I need to give, then I need to be kind. I need to be patient. I need to be enduring. I need to be long-suffering. You know, I need to protect. Protect who? The one you're supposed to love. Not protect your rights. Protect your, you know, it's not about that. Love seeks peace and unity. If at any time a disagreement arises, true love focuses on unity and that brings peace. So unless it's a heaven and hell issue and you're disagreeing on are we going to come back on a white horse, a brown horse, is 144 coming, thousand coming back or is all of us coming back, you know, are we going post-trib, pre-trib, mid-trib, Trib of tribs or trip over the tribs or whatever trib you want to. You know, if it's not a heaven and hell issue, do like Paul said. Well, if we come to a disagreement, we'll just leave that to the Lord and he'll work that out on his own time. Let's focus on what we do agree on. And God just nailed this point to me. He always seems to do that before I preach anything like this. And it seems like everybody and their brother has a disagreement with either what I've been saying, what I've said, the way I look, what I'm doing, who I'm doing it with. You know, I could just, you know, hello. And over and over again, it's become real simple for me to say, it just don't matter. You know, what, what, are, what are we supposed to be focused on? You know, what's... It's not, that's just a byproduct. That's just, you know, the color of the carpet that we put shades in the window and you want to see the sun, you know, that we painted the wall, you know, yellow, which I didn't paint it yellow, but painted that one yellow. But, you know, that the tablecloths are brown instead of blue, you know, does it really matter? No. So I've gotten quite comfortable in saying, can we just focus on what we do agree on? Well, I, but it just doesn't matter. 
I mean, people want to argue what things aren't definitive in the Word of God. To me, it just don't matter. I mean, I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I didn't write it. So we can opinionize over it all day long, but what's that going to accomplish as far as the mission that we've been given? I ain't got time for it. Uh... And again, I said it last week, if the church is bickering and nitpicking, not moving in unity, what is this showing the world? He said, they'll know my love for them by the love you have for each other. So if we can't truly love each other, as 1 Corinthians 13 defines, if we can't truly love each other, then we are saying exactly the opposite of the scripture. We're showing them that God doesn't love them. He don't, he, he's not even in this. When we're nitpicking... <laughs> Pickering, arguing, we're at work, we're complaining about everything that happened at church Sunday and so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that, and, you know, and if they would just ask my opinion, if I was in charge and I, and then you look at your coworker, hey, do you want to go to church with me Sunday? Uh, no. And then we come to church on what, would you just pray with me? I'm being persecuted at at work and you know I try to witness but they just you know they're not accepting anything I have to say the longer I'm married I realize that I do not have to agree with everything my husband says I don't have to agree with everything my husband thinks I don't even have to agree on everything my husband thinks I should be or I should do. But it doesn't give me permission to leave him. We can have disagreements but still be in perfect unity. You're wondering in a church body, how can we be in unity if we have disagreements? Because you don't focus on them. You focus on what you do agree on. You do focus on the mission ahead of you, and that's where you go. This is unity. This is the unity that the world can say, that must be love. Especially when all of a sudden at work, your conversation changes to everything you're doing at church, and, and now you're going, and now I'm doing this, and now we're doing this, and man, we saw this person healed, and we saw that person healed, and your coworker turns to you and says, is this the same church you was talking about a few weeks ago? How sister so-and-so did this, or, or you know, the church did that? And you can look at them and say, yeah, I know, that was wrong. I was focused too, too much on what didn't matter. And what does matter is how much God loves us and how much God loves you. And when we get our eyes on Jesus, all those other things kind of just fall away. They're not important anymore. Now that person, when you ask them, will you go to church with me? Yeah, i got to see this. I want to go and see this. I want to see what changed you. Don't forget that Jesus prayed, prayed that prayer for us in the garden. That we would be one. We would be one together in him. As the father is in him and him and us and us and him and him and you and you and me. and One. Alright. And I closed the message last week by reminding everybody that um, your standard is not each other. Jesus says you're a fool if you compare. Jesus said. The word said you're a fool when you compare yourselves. With each other. I don't know if it was Jesus that said that. Now that I just threw that out there, I corrected myself and maybe I didn't need to. I don't know. Don't compare yourself among yourself. You just like the amusement park ride, you know, the little sign that stands outside the ride that says, You have to be this tall to ride this roller coaster. And so we run up to it and we measure ourselves up to that. But Jesus, Jesus, not other people, Jesus is that sign. Jesus is that standard. But he not only holds out his finger one way and says, points us to this height, he puts both arms out and says, this is a standard. Mm. Crucify yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Lay down your rights. Pick up my righteousness. I'm not teaching perfection I'm simply trying to remove permission for you to be less than. Do you understand that? The enemy wants to keep you under his thumb by saying, no, that's not you. Oh, you can't do it. I know who you are. Uh, 
you did this, you done that, you are, you are, you are, remove the runway and the plane has nowhere to land. I'm removing, trying to teach you, remove permission to be less than what God has called you, ordained you, planned for you, laid out for you before you were even born to be. Okay, let's jump into week two. That was a whopping big time on just a quick review. Man, I lied. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Help me, Lord. All right. Let's jump into week two on masking the enemy. What does this have to do with the standard? Um, while you're hanging here, let me pick up my plumb bob again. You're affixed to God. You got love. You, you understand that love. Binoculars. You're receiving God's love so you can love others. And you've picked up the whole word of God, right? Where do you think, where do you think the enemy is going to attack you at? To get you off balance. Where does this plumb bob get off balance? Right up there. Right where it's fastened. So if he can just pull you off just a little bit this way or a little bit this way, then the whole thing's off. Dad just shared. He didn't even know that that was part of my message for this week. And he shared with me a story that when he was, I'm going to butcher your, your, your story, Dad, but... Um, when he was building a house, the same thing. They affixed it on a nail, set the plumb bob, started building the wall, but without them realizing it, it had slipped off the nail, hung onto a splinter, and it threw the whole wall off. And see, that's the idea of this message, to unmask the enemy, to unmask the deceptions that could knock you off true here or there. Uh, I've been praying for the last few weeks. God, give us eyes to quickly recognize the enemy oh there you are there you are I see you you're trying to hide but I see you right there and that's unmasking this enemy all right turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2 let's jump right in and if it gets too hot in here you can turn that fan on over there I know the fire of God is falling you just think the thermostat's set too high in here. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you... Wait a minute. I've been teaching you how to study the word in context, right? Right. So when you see the word, so then, what should you do? Go find out what was the, what was just said because he's telling you so then it's a continuation of what he just said. So you need to go before and find out what did he just say. All right? Because this is where huge deception happens is when you misapply God's word because you pick and choose like a smorgasbord, you know. I can make it say whatever you want me to say. I say that to people all the time. You know? You can... From my message this morning, with video editing technology, you can make me say something I completely did not say. I mean, have you seen those? What are those things called where you can take, they always do it to like a famous, like a president or something and make them say a whole song out of all these little clips? That's what we do to the word of God when we read it out of context. We can make it say whatever we want to, but reading it in context is what we're called to, designed to do. All right. So then means I'm going to back up to, um, let's just start with verse 1. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. 
For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Here we go. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. The New Living Translation says of verse 8, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. The Common English Bible says, See to it that nobody enslaves you with philosophy and foolish deception, which conform to human traditions and the way the world thinks and acts rather than Christ. Satan's mission since his great fall has been to undermine God's word, to cause you to doubt and ultimately not trust God. Think about it. That's what he did from the very beginning. That's the first recorded words out of his snake-filled tongue mouth was to insert doubt and it'll give them a human reason to believe that they can't trust God. Human reasoning came in through that serpent. Can you believe at any time, anywhere else, when Eve and Adam were going about doing their work, that Eve looked over at Adam, Adam, did God really tell us to do this? No, they just did it. They just believed him. They just trusted him. Until that Satan, that serpent, spoke those words of doubts into her ear, then came human reasoning. What tree was she standing by? Good and evil, right and wrong. That's why man still today stands by that tree trying to define in himself what's right and wrong. He's still eating up that tree. That's it. I, I don't want you there. So when, when Christians rise up and say, well, God gave us human reasoning to you. No, he didn't. He did not. Satan put that thought in us. Human reason causes you to, let's just apply God's word to my life, through my circumstances, and then I'll, I will define what's right and wrong. Does that sound like what God wants for you? No, no. Satan's mission since his great fall has been to do that. First Peter 5.8 warns us, be alert and of sober minder. minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaming lion, roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Like a lion. There is only one lion of Judah. Oh, he's on the back wall. Hello, lion of Judah. No, he's not on that. It's just a picture. It's a banner. Sorry. But like a lion, not as the lion. You hear the difference? Like a lion, which means he will try to sound just like Jesus. Oh, that sounds so good. Second Corinthians 11, 14 through 15, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. He has a mission to get you to doubt and ultimately distrust God. That's what he's there for. That's what he's doing. And so what I want to do today is I know Satan wears a plethora of, of masks, a multitude of masks, all these different masks. But I want to focus on what I've called the top five and when I started putting these down, they all came across with uh, beginning with the letter S, kind of like Satan, right? 
So we're going to talk about the mask of self, the mask of sight, the mask of silence, the mask of sitting, and the mask of scripture. You're like, oh, scripture. What are you talking about? Satan will sound like God. Satan will sound like Jesus. It will sound pretty good. The mask of self. Let me jump right into that. Um, and we're not going to get all the way through this. Found that out first service. So we're going to, this part two is going to be next week, okay? Uh, mask of self. The gospel. The mask of self. The gospel is not about meeting your selfish needs. And we do this all the time. I've preached this even. Where if you have a need, come to Jesus. He'll meet all your needs, right? You're, you're a rotten, horrible sinner that's going to hell. You need heaven. Come to Jesus. And now we've come to Jesus to meet our need. And now we go through life and all of a sudden we have all these other needs that are going on. Meh, and now we're saying, you know, okay, now where's God? And Satan will start screaming in our ear, see? He don't care about you. He's not meeting your needs. You're going without this, going without that. And we're like, what happened? Because we've turned the gospel into a selfish gospel. It's not about meeting your needs. It's about love. Remember, it all goes back to love. When you come to Jesus in light of his love for you, in light of his love for you, your worth, your value drove him to the cross. Not your sin. He had to make a restitution for your sin. He had to pay. He had to take on himself all the sin. But he did it not because of the sin. He did it because of his love. So when you come to him in love, when you come to him out of your, even if you want to say your need for his love, as long as it's his love you're seeking, whether he meets these selfish needs or not, maybe let's just call them selfish if they are, if they aren't, whatever. It's not your Christian walk, your Christian life is not based on your needs. It's based on his love and his love is unfailing. On changing. So now when life gets rocky or, or you have this deficit here or this deficit here, your Christian standard is secure because it's hooked in his love. Hooked in his love. And so everything else gets fulfilled, whether my needs get met or not. It's not about a selfish gospel. But see, that's something Satan comes to you and says, oh, see... See, how are you going to pay that bill? God doesn't love you. See, you're, you're short this amount of money. Oh, see, your, your vehicle just broke down. See, God doesn't love you. Have you ever had to tell your children no on something or wait on something? I mean, please, when they were born, did you give them keys to the car? You know? It's not, and I'm not even trying to... Um, Preach that God's saying no to you on certain things. All of his promises are yes and amen. You understand? I'm not trying to preach it and I don't have time to, to cover this whole subject here. But just understanding that it's not about your needs getting met. Otherwise, it's a selfish gospel. So there's the mask of um, selfishness. In that mask of self is selfishness, idolatry, and feelings. It's all tied up behind that mask. That, that God can only meet my needs. Selfish. Um, idolatry is simply defined as when you're, you've allowed something to matter more than the one who should matter most. You've allowed something to matter more than the one who should matter most. You can be your own idol. If all you talk about is you, you have become your own idol. Even if you think you're the most humble person you've ever met. 
I'm nothing. God does that. I'm nothing. I'm horrible. I'm a worm. I'm, uh, it just directs people to look at you more. You can become your own idol. And feelings. Feelings. Are we commanded to live by feelings or faith? Come on. Well, I just don't feel saved right now. I don't feel the anointing. I feel like God is a million miles away. You need to pray for me. Are we moved by feelings or moved by faith? I mean, I, I don't want to believe I, I offended anybody. I hope I haven't offended anybody. But I love people enough. I want to bring them back to the truth. So when I, when I hear people I love start talking about, you know, I feel this, I feel this, I feel this. I'm like, I don't care what you're feeling. What's the truth? Well, I feel horrible and I feel like I'm crazy. What, did God give you a sound mind or not? The word said he's given you a sound mind. So this crazy thing that you're feeling, these many voices that are pulling you, that is a lie. It's a mask. Rip it off that enemy standing before you. There's no authority over you. Your feelings are not in control. Faith is. Faith is based on truth. God said it. I believe it. Done. I don't care what my body says. I don't care what my mind yells. Feelings are a liar. Remember, we talked about that. When we got into um, our identity, I think it was in that series, about vain imaginations, about um, pretense. Remember that you can take captive every pretense. Pretense is pretend feelings. You can actually, and let me just go ahead and leap right off this cliff and, you know, pray God save me here. You can tell your feelings what to do. Feelings don't define the truth. Truth defines feelings. And next week when we talk about the scripture, I'm, I'm going to really hammer that one down about um, the scripture and how we apply it and how we can. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go there next week. Um, feelings, feelings, feelings. I, I've heard it. People say all the time, I'm, I'm guilty. I've done this. Lord, I, I don't feel anointed right now to pray for somebody. I've got to wait till I feel the anointed or the anointing. What? We have been anointed. We have been commanded. We are commissioned to go and lay hands and pray for the sick. Sorry, not just pray for the sick. What are we supposed to do? Go and heal. I don't have to wait till I feel it. When, do you understand if you wait? For your feelings to feel God move, then what you're saying is, God, unless I feel it, you're not moving. So now you're living a sensual life. Do you think God in all his perfectness and all his holiness wants to keep feeding that sensual part of you? That you'll only move when you feel anointed? When you only feel him moving? No, that's not faith. So feelings are a lie. They're all under the mask of self. Selfish needs, idolatry, feelings. Remember, we gave up our rights and picked up his righteousness. But deny yourself. Take up your cross. Live not your life unto death. Seek first the kingdom. Honor others. Care for others. Above yourself. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. The next one is the mask of sight. Don't lose sight of who the real enemy is. This is so important. Don't lose sight of who the real enemy is. I have more counseling appointments because people lose sight of who the real enemy is. Oh, I got to come talk to you. Yeah, what do you got to talk to me about? Oh, so-and-so in the church. What? Well, I don't like... Who cares? Really? You know? Well, but they, oh, well, if you can only be a Christian as long as all the world is in, you know, growing roses and, and hailing your praise, 
then um, where's deny yourself in that? Where's take up your cross? Where's serve others? We, we had talked about this on Thursday night that we have a, um, see, I want to be careful. I don't want to say too much, but in that dual relationship, that two commanded love God with all your heart, mind, soul, love others as yourself. He says the second is as great as the first one. That we have an identity of here, a son. With God, we are a son. We are seated with Christ. We are to his right hand. We are a son. But here, we're a servant. I am commanded to serve others. I'm commanded to serve my enemies. Feed them. Give them something to drink. Visit those in prison. Take care of the sick. What does that sound like to you? Servant. It's not about me at all. Where does he say, kick back, put on the, you know, set in your lazy boy and, and, and just, you know, now the world will come to you and serve you. And you'll have everything you've always wanted. Where is that gospel written? Don't lose sight of, your, of the real enemy. Sorry, I don't know where I went over there. I went right back to the self again. Sorry. The word says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, principalities, and powers in the dark realm, right? The heavenlies. That's our enemy. It's not the person standing before you. So when you do get into a disagreement, when that person does come up against you, when that coworker or maybe even a stranger spits at you, curses at you, runs you off the road, waves a pretty finger at you, they're not your enemy. Don't lose sight of who your enemy is. The mask of sight is Satan will try to get you to look at everybody else so that you won't look at him. Oh, but my, my husband did this. Oh, my kids did this. Oh, my coworker did this and that and this and that. And the enemy is just going. <laughs> He's laughing at you, stirring you up. Because if he can have, keep you looking at everybody else is the problem, everybody else is the issue, boy, that's why. Because that totally is a selfish thing. You hear that? Boy, God, if you would just take care of you know this person and take care of that person and straighten up my husband and straighten up my kids, then I could be a better Christian. Yeah, that is selfish. That's a mask in itself. So it's he's wearing like double mask. Well, he wears lots of masks, but. Don't lose sight of who the real enemy is. Keep the cross before you, the world behind you. No turning back, no turning back, no turning back. Seek first the kingdom. Don't forget, beautiful illustration when Jesus called Peter out of the boat. Peter was able to walk on top of the wild, stormy waves as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. The minute he got his eyes off Jesus and looked at the waves, he sank. Think about John. John was boiled in oil to the point of almost dying. And then the people that put him in the oil went, oh, crap. What happens if we kill him? His ghost will probably come back and haunt us a hundred times worse. So they pulled him out right before he died, threw him in a cave on an island of Patmos and just said, die alone in the cave there, buddy. And yet, because John did not lose focus, cross before me, Jesus called me to continue to seek him, preach the word, love, 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 love. He was given the greatest revelation that the whole world has ever seen. It's in the back of the book. And you know what really makes me understand that Paul never lost sight of who his real enemy is? Because he didn't drone on and on and on at the beginning of Revelation saying, Oh, woe is me, you know, where I am and what they did to me. I mean, have you ever... I, I've got little bitty marks on me from little bitty burns. Usually it's from the oven and I'm throwing things in too fast and not paying attention. I hit that burner element or whatever. That little sucker hurts forever. Could you imagine your whole body being covered in those burns? In a cave, you know. Anyway, but he didn't drone on and on and on at the beginning. Oh, it was me and all the, 
you know, stuff I went through and they did, they tried to do this to me and they tried to, no, he just like Jesus, boom. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, but, but John, what about, doesn't matter. This does not matter. I don't matter. Jesus matters. Let me show you Jesus. Let me show you Jesus. He didn't lose sight. The third one, the mask of silence. The mask of silence. Satan knows that God put in your mouth the power of life and death. He knows that. So if he can just keep you silent, or at least speaking doubt, well, I don't know, did God really say that? Then he can keep you from speaking life. But if he can keep you silent, the, the old quote is, for evil to rise, all that has to happen is good men stay silent. Have you ever, ever heard in your head these words, shh, quiet, don't tell your husband about that. Shh, don't ask for that prayer request. You don't want them to know about that. Shh, don't give that testimony because what happens in two weeks when you fail? You'll be a failure. The whole church will know you're a failure. Shh, don't tell people that. Shh. You ever heard that? Quiet. So if he can keep you quiet, he can keep you from speaking life. He knows that God placed in your mouth the power of life and death. So if he can either, if he can't keep you speaking death, then he wants to keep you silent. Shh. Oh, you're so stupid. You don't know anything. Just keep your mouth shut. Right? Heard that? Oh, you're probably not understanding that scripture right, so don't say anything. Don't. I know. You think that that's a word from God. It's not. It's just you. Shh. The enemy knows. My dad used to tell us this all the time. If you heard it said, if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. Well, let me tell you, as Christians, you have something good to say. You need to keep saying it. I want you to turn upon the enemy his original lie, his original deceit. Did God really say that? When he starts whispering those things to you, oh, you're no good. You better be quiet. You know, you're a failure. You've always been a failure. You can say, did God really say that? No. I know what he said. And yeah, my feelings might say something else, but the word is truth. Amen. And the power of life comes through my mouth. You're like, oh, that's almost blasphemy. No, it's not. It's truth. It's a word. He has put life and death in the power of your tongue and my tongue. So if I'm not speaking life, I'm speaking death. Let me just say, I didn't say this first service. At least I don't think I did. When you sing through your trials, when you worship through your trials, when you get poked and out comes a praise song, I'll praise you in the storm, you know. What's that? I don't even know what that, that just came to my mind. You know, all these random songs come to my mind all the time. I woke up the other day. I think I told my staff this. I didn't even know the song. I must have heard it somewhere. And all I could remember is Jesus, Jesus, your name. How did that go? Now I even forgot it. Um, at your name. Yeah. Yeah, everything trembles at your name, Jesus, Jesus, everything trembles at your name. That's I woke up singing that, and I'm like, yeah, that's good. But if you sing during your trials, whenever the enemy pokes you, do you think he's going to keep poking you? It's like every time I poke her, she sings praises to God. I'm out of here. Right? He's not going to keep doing things that are going to draw you closer to God. He's not stupid. 
So if every time he pokes you, you, what did I say last week? Every time he squeezes you, out boozes Jesus. He's like, I'm not squeezing that person anymore. Right? Wait. You are Satan's torment when you praise the Lord. When you sing praises, because what was he originally designed to do? He was the worship leader of heaven. So when he comes after you, see, God doesn't love you, God, and you're like, the Bible tells me Jesus, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. He's like, oh, that was supposed to be my job. You are his torment. When he tries to get you to deny Jesus and it draws you closer to Jesus. The mask of silence. The mask of sitting. And this is where I'm going to wrap up. Uh, I'll give you the rest of it um, next week because we're just, we really want to camp on the mask of scripture. And you're like, oh, how can scripture be a mask of the enemy? Do you not think that Satan will use the word of God against you? He's the accuser of the brethren. Think about this. When he went after Jesus, what did he use? Okay, this is personal opinion here. I'm just clarifying. Because I've heard some people preach that Satan, and even the movie The Passion, which I love to death. I really do. Love to death. That kind of sounds wicked, doesn't it? Maybe that's not a good... Mm, I really, really enjoy The Passion. Not enjoy it. Okay, never mind. Get off that. Anyway. But the idea that Satan didn't know who Jesus was, I just don't believe that for a second. Because in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Where was Satan? Right there. Lucifer. I don't believe for a minute that he didn't know who Jesus was. So he quoted the Word to the Word. Now, if you don't think he'll use the word to try to twist and get you confused, come on. That's elementary right there. If he would quote the word to the word who became flesh, of course he'll try to, he'll try to twist it. Well, that was hard to say. Try to, try to, twist, try to twist it with you. But we'll, we'll camp on that one next week, really. The mask of scripture is, it will. Anyway. Here it is, the mask of setting, and this is where we're going to wrap up. The mask of setting, again, Crystal preached it. I just love it. Um, the gates of hell will not prevail, that he's moving us from a defensive state to an offensive state. Um, there are times where he does ask us to sit, right? But if we remain seated all the time, what, you kick back in your lazy boy and you know, the world come to me and take care of me? No. There's a time for everything. Isn't that what Solomon said? There's a time for everything. Um, refusing to move or step out until you have all the answers. Wanting to know the why to everything that happens is a stubborn, selfish attitude that just proves you don't trust him. Because if you're going to wait, if you said, and I've known people, good people, that says, well, I'm just going to wait until the Lord tells me what he wants me to do. I want to give them a Bible. I'm sorry, you must not have this, right? It, it, it's written in here. This is what he's told you to do. Go and do this. <laughs> and he'll direct you. Kind of like the, the, the ship anchored at the port. That you want to throw up your sails and say, Lord, direct me wherever you want to do. And he says, yeah, the minute you untie yourself from the dock, I can direct you. But if you're going to stay tied to the dock, all the amount of wind won't blow you anywhere. Might topple you over. Oh, that could preach. You got to let go and just go. Let go. Let it go. No, sorry. I haven't even watched that movie, but it's just so funny to use that. Um, Crystal told us Wednesday at staff meeting that God gave her that word, that God is turning us from a defensive position to an offensive position. She didn't know 
you know, I already had it written in the, the message. Uh, there was another one, Friday night life group, right? But you got that same type of word that God's moving us from defensive. At least I think it was Friday night. Was it Friday or Tuesday? During life group, one of the life groups. Uh, now listen. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. And I know I've preached this before. But it's not some funny cartoonish picture of these gates with little bitty feet running here and there. They don't come up against you. Gates are already set in position and they usually guard or stand watch over a stronghold, right? The enemy has put up a stronghold and the gates are shut and locked. The gates of hell will not prevail against you is an on our part, an offensive action that as we run and charge up against it, they cannot stand. They will fall. That is a promise. So an offensive, but if you just are running in the enemy's camp and like we sung, take back what the, he stole from, whatever that is. If we're running and all of a sudden we're starting to take on arrows and we're getting, you know, poked here and poked there and we see the gates and we're like, oh, they're so huge. And we sat down, build a fire and start singing, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against you when you are going after him. Was it say that the. How does it describe the Christian that the violent take it by force? Oh, I like that. Oh, the violent take it by force. What have you been given? Everything. Everywhere you step your foot. Why? Because it's all his. He took it back. He already has the keys. He said, now go invade earth with my kingdom. It, that's why it can't stand against you. Everything on heaven and earth, everything was created in him, through him, by him, for him. Every name, everything in heaven, on earth, and under the earth bows to his name. Boom. But if we're starting to move into the enemy's territory and we sit down, and then we wonder why we're starting to feel this opposition... Taking on more arrows. What's happening? What's happening is because you're sitting down in the enemy's territory. Get up! Run! Take those gates. They will fall before you. They will fall before you. So it's not a time to sit down. Now I know it says uh, stand and when you've done everything else to stand. There is a time when God will tell you to stand. When you've done everything else. Stand now and watch, God says. Stand and watch. I mean, how many times did they have to go around Jericho? Seven times. And then what did he say? Watch this. Boom. But they had to do everything else first. I'm going to look crazy doing this. Just keep doing it. This is ridiculous. What are we doing? Keep doing it. Now stand and watch this. Boom. When you've done everything else, stop standing around until you've done everything else. And let me just say this, and then I'm going to be closing. So, Crystal, you better come up. It's your fault. I went over already. Boy, if you would have come up 15 minutes ago, I could have been done on time. Anyway, uh, when somebody... And our family, God's family, God's army, is knee deep in the enemy's territory. And they start taking on arrows. And they scream out, can you help me? Come over here, help me. I'm taking on the, the, the fighting's thicker over here. I need your help. One of our young men which was just brilliant in my mind that God uses, I hate to call him a, a babe, but the mouth, mouths of babes, his richest truths, asked this question. Why is it that the church says, if you're not feeling opposition from the enemy, you're not doing anything for God? 
But when you're doing something from God and you start feeling opposition from the enemy, they want to point their finger and tell you that you're doing something wrong. That doesn't make sense. What is it? So when somebody in the knee deep in the enemy's territory starts taking on arrows and starts screaming, come over here and help me fight. It's not so we can go over to them and start pointing at all the arrows they've got in them and start analyzing. Well, I know why you got this one. And, you know, that one came because and that one. Came. No, it means rip the arrows out of them, lock arms with them and run with them. Don't stop now, honey. That gate can't stand against us. and point at them and tell them what they're doing wrong or how wrong they are and you should have never taken an error in the first place if you really were loved by God but to rip the arrows out of them what's it called a cadre the army calls it a cadre it means a band of brothers that will not leave one behind a cadre it means dead or alive we're in this together and we're going to keep going and they'll lock arms, they'll pick them up, they'll bend and them up as quick as they can, but they won't sit down, now let's kumbaya, and let's just, oh, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. Ain't got time for that. Rip the arrows out, lock arms with them, and run. Don't, don't set up camp in the enemy's territory. Don't point fingers and try to analyze what went wrong. That's not the time for it. As a matter of fact, that's not even your assignment. You know more than God does? Focus on what matters. Focus on where we're going. Cross before us, the world behind us. No looking back. Those gates cannot stand against us. It cannot prevail against our offensive line. All right. Boom. I got to stop this timer. It's screaming at me. I want to take us all the way back again where I started right here this string right here the binoculars I talked about love so you understand you can love God with all your heart mind soul and strength you can pick up the Bible and say you know what I believe the whole Bible that's it but not have love and what does 1 Corinthians 13 says they're nothing they're just a resounding noise you can be preaching the word but if you don't have love it's nothing and you can't fulfill the commandment to love others as yourself if you can't receive and understand the love God has for you it's gotta begin there that's where that the unmasking of the enemy will just, I mean, he'll be exposed before he even gets close to you. Do you understand? I, did I already talk about the Lord of the Rings in this one? Okay. It's hard. I mean, you preach two services, it's hard. It's like, did I just say that earlier or did I say that last year? The Lord of the Rings, I just love those movies because it show, so gives you a picture of the kingdom of light and darkness that I mean I just you know of course it's not like biblical I don't think you know I, I can gain knowledge of God through a cartoon alright so God's hidden everywhere and it's for our glory to search him out and in these Lord of the Rings I shared this Wednesday night with the, the people that were here at the prayer meeting that in, a, in one of the scenes where the king's sitting on his throne and the king you know we sit on the throne of God the right hand of God with Christ we are seated in heavenly realms and in the business world when somebody says I am so and so's right hand what does that mean? oh they have all the power all authority just like that person you're the right hand oh yeah we are God's right hand we are the right hand of God so anyway, we're setting, so the king in the Lord of the Rings, the movie, he's setting on his throne, right? So everything has to bow before him. Everything has to bow before him. Everything has to tremble before him. In walks the snake. Oh, king, I just came in to tell you something. And he, and he creeps in like this, and he's like, 
Do you know that some of your people are saying this and they're saying that you're this and you shouldn't do this and you know they know what you wanted and blah blah blah. And instead of the king sitting there in his royal authority saying just get out of here. When he starts listening to it, entertaining those thoughts and like toxic venom, letting it just sift through his mind and over his spirit and over his being, he becomes deflated and all of a sudden the enemy who came in like this starts standing up straighter and straighter. That's right. We know who you are. We know that you have no authority here. The people already know that. You can't do anything. They saw how you failed last week. You're a failure. Now the enemy is strutting around in a in a kingdom that's not his. And you wonder how can he do that? Because somewhere we bowed to him. Because we have he has no authority but what we give him. And I love that in the Lord of the Rings that it shows that picture of the enemy will always sneak in. But I've been praying for weeks now that every one of us will have a keen eye of, of uh, discernment to easily pick out, that's the enemy. There you are, I see you. You're trying to hide, but you're right there because you're not my enemy. You're not my enemy. I know who my enemy is and my eye is keenly aware of his deception. That's what I've been praying for you. But this has got to come first. Do you understand that? So I want us to close by just flooding. I mean it. I mean it. I say it every week. But you've got to come up and flood the altar because the word that just went into you needs to rest somewhere. Or else the birds of the air will come in and pick up that seed. That's why it's so important for you to come up front and let that word sink in you before you go out those doors. You understand that? It's got to have good soil. It's got to find root or else you'll get out these doors and it will be gone. And you'll wonder why week after week you keep coming back and it's not changing me. It's not changing me. It's not changing me because I'm throwing the seed out there and you're walking out without letting it have a chance to soak in, sink in and take root. So I'm asking you to come up and just I want you to really just bask in the love God has for you. The love that will overwhelm you. The love that strengthens you. The love that perfects you. The love that covers over a multitude of sins. That love that qualifies you. That redeems you. That restores you. Come on, you know the scriptures. Speak it over yourself. I am the apple of his eye. I have been justified just as if I had done nothing wrong by the blood of Jesus. Your love overwhelms me, God. Your love poured in me completes me. Your love meets my every need. Your love, your love. I cannot love others apart from your love for me. Me, Lord. Pour your love in and through us, in and through us, God. Your love, your love, your love.